if the statistics are correct, uh, around one in four people, uh, even in this room, would have experienced some form of schoolyard bullying sometime in their lives. Now, for me personally, uh, my first experience of being bullied uh, happened in early primary school. And uh, for those of you who don't know, um, I grew up in New Zealand, uh, and maybe because of that, I ate a lot of fish and chips. Uh, my, my family migrated there you know, in the early uh, 1980s. Um, yes, I'm that old. Um, uh, anyway, the first primary school that I went to in the, in the 80s uh, was in a rough area of Wellington. Uh, the racial demographic uh, of the area was heavily uh, made up of people uh, of local Maori and uh, as well as people from Polynesian and Pacific Islander backgrounds. Uh, so as you can imagine, uh, I was you know, the only Asian kid in the entire school. Um, but thankfully, I wasn't, I wasn't the only ethnic minority there. Because apart from me, in the entire school, uh, there was also one uh, white Caucasian kid uh, but my first experience of bullying actually didn't happen there. Uh, I actually have lots of fond memories of that school. Uh, my favourite being singing songs in Maori and Samoan. It was only after my family bought a business in another part of town that I had to move schools, where the majority of kids there were white, and apart from me, there was one other Asian kid, and I got bullied by that one Asian kid. <laughs> now, I can, you know... Laughed at it now, uh, but believe me, beyond the receiving end of bullying uh, wasn't at all pleasant. And my guess is, uh, with today's generation, um, it probably has gotten worse, with cyberbullying now being a thing. Now, for those of you uh, who weren't here uh, last week, well, first of all, welcome and thank you for joining us uh, this week. Now, last week we began a new teaching series on a book in the Bible called Ephesians. And last week I spoke about how this world that we live in uh, isn't just a random universe without meaning and purpose, but rather was created by God with meaning and purpose as well as a clear storyline. And just like any good story, it has a beginning as well as a happily ever after ending. But also, I also mentioned how um, often people find it hard to believe that God created this world because it is full of evil, pain and suffering. Uh, it was just yesterday, wasn't it, on the news that there was a guy in Japan who just went around on random, just stabbing cool, uh, school kids to, de- to, to death uh, in Tokyo. It's, it's actually really, really horrific. And not only that, if you pay attention to the world around us, you, you don't have to look very far, do you, uh, to find humans fighting each other, humans dividing over small differences, humans discriminating each other and even bullying each other over those differences. And so if God really did create this world, as Christians believe, then what is he going to do about this problem, the problem of human division, the hatred between fellow humans? What is God going to do about all these things? Now, that is a very good question, and I believe our study today in Ephesians chapter 2 would help us answer this question. Uh, but before we get into the, the Bible passage, uh, it would be helpful for us to know that uh, God sent Jesus into this world uh, to solve two problems, okay, two big problems. Uh, there is the, the vertical problem as well as the horizontal problem. Jesus came to solve the, the vertical problem between uh, man and God. Uh, that's what we talked about last week. God is perfect, man is sinful, and Jesus came as a bridge uh, to you know, to fill the gap between us and God, uh, between man and God, man is holy and blameless through his death on the cross. Uh, 
So Jesus came to solve that vertical problem. But that isn't the end of the story, because Jesus also came to solve the horizontal problem. Uh, the problem between man and man. The wall of hatred between people and people. Jesus came to ultimately tear down those walls. But the question is how? How's he going to do that? So as an, as an outline today, I will be addressing two points. Um, and that is, uh, how has Jesus solved the problem of human division? As well as, number two, what does that mean for us? Uh, so without further ado, uh, let's take a look at the first point. Uh, how has Jesus solved the problem of human division? Uh, but b- before we uh, dive in further, uh, we'll first need to understand some of the historical background, and I'll explain this by way of analogy. Now, who here is a fan of avocados? Okay, no, number of you. Uh, personally, I love avocados, don't know about you, but I think it goes best with sushi. Anyway, I read on the internet, and of course everything on the internet is true, um, I read somewhere that most commercially produced avocados uh, that we buy in the shops have come from avocado plants that at one time in their lifetime have been grafted onto another tree. Um, now, for those of you who don't know, grafting is a horticultural technique whereby you take a snip off a baby plant um, and then you take that snip and you join it onto another plant, okay, like a tree. And so what happens is over time, this foreign part of the plant becomes part of that tree. Uh, it's pretty amazing how that works. And apparently with avocados, uh, this grafting technique maximizes the chance for the plant to bear fruit. Now, in a similar way, in the story of the Bible, we see God doing the work of grafting people together. Now, let me explain what I mean by this. You see, in the beginning of history, God uh, created a perfect world with perfect humans. The, The vertical and horizontal problems did not exist. And everything was perfect until... Man did something unbelievably stupid. Just like a tree wanted to get rid of its roots, our first ancestors decided to declare independence from God by not obeying what he says. And because of that, this perfect world that we live in, a world that was once perfect and blessed, has now become fallen and cursed. And as, as a result, uh, not only did man break the, their relationship with God, but also relationship with each other. It's interesting, but also sad, how the very next story in the Bible is about two brothers. One murdered the other. The first homicide in human history. So as you can see, God has a pretty big problem on his hands. But the good news is, God has a really big solution. But the solution is, quite frankly, a little bit hard to believe. Of all the families in the whole wide world, God chose one family, the family of a man named Abraham. You can see up there. A man named Abraham. God chose Abraham and his family to bring blessing back into the world, into this fallen and cursed world. In Genesis chapter 12, God made a covenant, a special promise with Abraham. And this is what he says. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. As you can see, this is a pretty big promise, isn't it? And so Abraham was like a new tree that God has planted and rooted in God through his promise. As we keep reading through the pages of the Bible, uh, we see that the tree of Abraham grew. 
Out of his family tree came the nation of Israel. And God gave Israel a new land to live in, uh, as well as a new law to follow. And this law that God gave them, it wasn't designed to restrict their freedom, but quite the opposite. Uh, The law was meant to shape their lives so much so that it would give them freedom to love God and to love one another. And so when the law is obeyed properly, the nations around them would go, Wow, you guys are living such beautiful lives. Can we join you in in worshipping your God? So it is in this way, the nations were meant to join with Israel and be grafted into the tree and receive the promise made to Abraham for the blessing of the world. Uh, However, okay, and this is a big however, uh, however, history did not pan out this way. Okay, history did not pan out this way. Instead of obeying the law, Israel, Israel disobeyed. Israel disobeyed. In fact, they've misused the law to create an artificial barrier between them and the nations. Uh, For example, they would say, we're the circumcised ones. They're not. We're clean. They're defiled. They're dirty. And therefore, rather than solving the horizontal problem, Israel exacerbated the problem. By using the law, they built up walls that divide. And everyone on the other side of the wall was seen to be their enemy. Ancient Greek philosopher and historian uh, Posidonius uh, wrote that in 135 BC, King, um, King Antiochus Cedicis uh, was given the advice to destroy the Jews, for they alone among all peoples refused all relations, uh, all relations with other races and saw everyone else as their enemy. Okay. And so this was the situation, pretty much. Um, and it remained like this, even up to the time of Jesus in the first century AD. But it was after the arrival of Jesus, something remarkable happened. Something remarkable happened. Uh, after Jesus died and rose again, the news of Jesus went outside the walls of Israel. And all of a sudden, the nations began worshipping the God of the Jews through Jesus including those living in the Greek city of Ephesus, the Ephesians. And the letter that we are reading from today was written to them. Uh, Now with this historical background in mind, hopefully our passage today in Ephesians chapter 2 would make a lot more sense. Now if you have your handouts uh, in front of you, um, I'm just going to read the first paragraph beginning verse 11. Uh, It says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, and the word Gentiles just means nations, or the people of the nations, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that is the Jews, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ and excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So in other words... The Gentiles, once upon a time, they were not part of the family tree of Abraham and Israel. However, because of Jesus, the Gentiles have come to Jesus and become Christians. And they get grafted into that tree. And it was the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. That was the glue that kind of joined the Gentiles onto that tree. 
And do you know what the end result of all this is? Okay, this is the end result. Through Jesus, there will be one new humanity, side by side, with all the dividing wars broken down, living in peace. Verse 14 continues uh, like this. For he, that is Jesus, himself is our peace, who has destroyed the two groups... uh, uh, who has made uh, sorry? Uh, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So what verses uh, fifteen and sixteen are saying is. Through the one man Jesus, through his death on the cross, both the vertical and horizontal problems are resolved, have been dealt with. It's interesting how that also makes the shape of the cross, isn't it? And thereby, through Jesus, well, Jesus fulfills the promise. Jesus fulfills the promise made to, uh, that God made to Abraham 2,000 years ago to bless the world through him. Well, so what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Well, a few years ago, I watched a documentary about a a Christian church in Palestine. And this church was located in an area where there are lots of um, ethnic conflicts, Okay, a lot of fighting between Jews and Arabs. But what's really striking about this church is the fact that this church was made up of both Arabs and Jews. And not only that, the two pastors of the church, as you may have guessed, one's a Jew, one's an Arab. And they're also best buddies, although they would consider each other more than that. Uh, They would see themselves as brothers in Christ. Now, I think that that is a really great example of what it looks like to be part of this new humanity under Jesus. In Jesus, we're all one big family with God as our father. So that means no matter if you're Asian, Caucasian, Eurasian, you name it. If you're a Christian, then you are, well, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this truth uh, really hit home for me 11 years ago. Uh, I was studying at a Bible college at the time. And during Easter, a team of us went to Armadale, north of New South Wales, uh, to serve some of the churches there for one week. And I uh, remember uh, staying with a family, uh, a Christian family who I've never met before in my entire life, a white Australian family with four children, uh, one of whom had married and left home, uh, but the others were still living with them. Uh, when I got there, I just felt a sense of closeness, a sense of family, despite never having met them before, and despite uh, the obvious ethnic difference. They cooked for me, um, they cooked me food, they, they drove me around, and they even let me stay in the room of the daughter who had just moved out, and I was sleeping in her bed for a week. And so for me, the, the experience was quite surreal. They were not making a profit uh, from this, in fact, it was entirely out of their own expense to host me for a week. And so the only explanation for all this was the fact that to them, I was family. I'm a brother in Christ. And that's all that matters. But the good news of Jesus Christ doesn't just end there. Uh, Jesus didn't just come to break down ethnic wars, but actually all wars that divide. And this is what it says in another book in the Bible, in Galatians chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So what this passage is saying is if you're a Christian and you, when you're with other Christians, all the different things that uh, used to cause division, such as your ethnicity, your culture, your occupation, your social standing, your gender, all those wars no longer exist in Jesus. So it should come to no surprise that it was the Christians who were at the forefront of the abolitionist movement in England to ban uh, the African slave trade. It was the Christians who were first to help, uh, first to help the social outcasts in India, the Dalits, to lift them from the societal prejudice and poverty. And still today, it is the Christian organizations that are often in the front line with helping the poor, the homeless, the oppressed, like World Vision, like Mission Australia, like the Salvation Army. Uh, during my research, I discovered that even the Red Cross was originally founded by a Christian man by the name of Henri Dunant. All this, you see, didn't come about by accident, but rather they were founded on the idea Perhaps some might even call it the dangerous idea that Jesus came to break down walls between people. So my question uh, to you is, do you want to belong in a community like this? A community without walls of division. A community where everyone stands equal in the sight of God. And not just equal, but united as one in Christ, as members of one big family. Do you want to find your belonging in a community like this? And if that's a yes, then I'm really glad that you're here because Credo uh, seeks to be this community under God through faith in Jesus. And not just Credo, but really any Christian church that teaches the truth about Jesus, you can find belonging there. If you would simply join the family through putting your faith in Jesus. And if you would like to do that even today, uh, please do come and speak to me or perhaps a friend who brought you along today. Or maybe well, you, you have been part of a church before uh, and maybe that church has let you down or maybe you've joined a credo small group in the past and you didn't feel like you've really fitted in. Now my encouragement uh, for you is to be generous with your patience uh, and forgiveness because at the end of the day, uh, Christians are still people in need of repair. I'm sure you do too, uh, because definitely I am. And that's what family is there for, isn't it? Uh, even in our own families at home, uh, we need to be patient with our brothers and sisters, uh, even mum and dad, and support them when they stuff up, let alone people in God's family who are also fallen creatures. So my encouragement is be patient and forgive, just as Christ has forgiven you. And we need God's help to do this, don't we? And we need to do this through prayer. And this is what I'll be doing right now. So how about we pray together? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you love all people and that you desire all people to be part of a new humanity where there are no longer wars that divide. Thank you that Jesus came to break down those wars. And we pray that many more would put their faith in him and be part of this family and have you as their father. We also pray for strength to love people in our new family. Help us to be patient with them and forgive them, just as how you have forgiven us in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.